And uh, then we pause for that uh, great Christmas uh, time that we have. And I think we can all attest that we had some fantastic things that went on over Christmas. And then as we entered into the new year, we kicked off uh, with our vision series, as Pastor Ralph just said. Now, uh, I want us to understand that we are not just throwing the vision on the back burner and returning to our First Corinthians series. I think it is so cool that uh, way before this vision statement was even put in place, that way back in, I think, September was when we kicked off this series. And yet it speaks so much to what we are going, uh, pushing forward as a church. And so I'm excited that uh, uh, us as the preaching team are able to continue to speak to this vision series as we continue in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, um, talking about being the body of Christ. I think... None of us can say that those two are, are not connected. I think that's really cool. Well, if you could open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to be spending our time this morning in the first 18 verses. And while you find your way there, I want to tell you um, something about my family. Well, actually more my dad. My dad and my mom, they live in Japan, if you didn't know. They are missionaries there. And one of their uh, outreaches is that my dad has been able to connect to a local, local coffee shop. But this, uh, the reason I tell you this is because my dad is now a coffee snob. A coffee snob. He uh, began working at this little tiny shop, and the, the shop where he works at, the guy roasts his own beans. It like fills the whole uh, neighborhood with his beautiful aroma. He only uh, grinds the beans as necessary for the coffee. All that stuff that you know of those coffee snobs. I won't name any if we have any in this church anywhere. Uh, maybe up in the balcony. But um, my dad has become like that, where he knows the exact temperature of the water. He knows exactly the ratio of, of beans to, to uh, water and all these things that you're just like, this is crazy. And it's to the point that when I'm Skyping my dad, it, it'll be my evening, his morning, and my mom's got her cup of coffee, and he'll be grunting in the background because her cup of coffee was good for her, but not good enough for him. So he's washing everything and starting all over again because he's just so frustrated that it did not come out perfectly. He's completely obsessed. And I know it's ridiculous, but I do have to admire his commitment. He is so committed to this perfect cup of coffee in the morning or perfect cup of coffee that for that person that comes into the coffee shop. Maybe you know somebody who's like that. I think of Moody and maybe there's some music majors who three times a day are there in one of these practice rooms training, practicing piano. Once a week they soak their fingers in lotion so that they're like dexterous and able to uh, be fluid as they play. They, they do morning finger exercises all for the sake of being able to play piano as well as they can. If that doesn't hit as close to home, this one might. Maybe you are obsessed with fantasy football. And you go and you study and you study and you spend every evening, two hours a night, studying every single play, player, seeing how you can get the most points, saying that you can beat your league. That's all I know about fantasy football, so we're going to stop that. But whatever the situation, you have to admire the total commitment to a goal. The total commitment and desire for something. Is that how we are with the gospel? Do we have that same kind of total desire and devotion for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? That we would do anything for the sake 
of the gospel in our lives and the lives of those around us? Or is it just merely an important part of our lives, but there are other things that are just as important? That it's, it's important, but if we looked at a graph, we would say, yeah, there's other things that kind of take up more of our time and more of our energy. As we continue to look at 1 Corinthians today in chapter 9, we're going to see that Paul makes it clear that the gospel should be at that all-out, totally in level. And as we look at Paul's own selfless example, his sacrificial commitment to the gospel, he's going to point out that we as believers, those in the body of Christ, we should be no rights reserved members of the body of Christ because of the gospel. Our commitment to the gospel should move us to be willing to sacrifice anything for the body of Christ. And we're going to see that as we examine Paul as he lays out his rights and then as he lays out a rejection of these rights. If you can think back to my message in the weekend after Thanksgiving, I know many of you were gone to various other places, but after Thanksgiving we started this new section in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we started talking about sacrifice. And if you remember, there was the issue of food and the stronger and weaker brothers. And Paul called out the brothers because they were looking at their own rights rather than the needs of one another. And he closed the chapter chastising them, saying that he himself, in 1 Corinthians 8.13, that he himself would not hesitate to stop eating meat if it was for the sake of his brother. But for Paul, this is the perfect transition to his own testimony. It opens the door for him to explain his own apostleship and his rights as an apostle. And as Paul spends these first 14 verses of this chapter examining his rights, we're going to find ourselves, along with the Corinthians, examining our own rights as believers. And we're going to see that Paul, like we as like Paul, have been given rights in Jesus Christ. So if we look at these first few verses, before Paul gets into defending his rights, uh, Paul reiterates his standing as an apostle. In the final verse of the previous chapter, he said, I would give it all up. But he explains he's able to give it up because he is free. He is an apostle and he has seen the Lord. Paul explains that the answer to these questions, whether he is an apostle and whether he is free, is found in the answer to the third question. That he uh, he has seen the Lord. And in seeing the Lord, he also received his calling in the Lord. Because he was struck down in blindness and his life was totally turned around. His sole aim then became the gospel and so he knows that he is free and he is apostle because he has seen the Lord. He's been sent by God. And then he says in the second part of the, last, of the first verse, Are you not my workmanship of the, in the Lord? Paul points out that his apostleship is gaining credibility because they exist. The church exists. He knows that there are those outside the church, as it says in verse 2, who would doubt his apostleship. But for the Corinthian church, they cannot doubt that Paul is an apostle because their existence is the very seal. Rebecca Williamson is a good baker. Hopefully all of you have had her pies. Yup. There's the yup. I'm glad for it. Now, if Rebecca said, I am a good baker, we'd say, okay, I believe you. But if you walked in Rebecca's apartment, you would be met with this 
beautiful aroma of fresh baked things and you would see their beauty uh, on the table and you would say, yeah, there is no denying that Rebecca is an amazing baker. More than just her telling, if we saw the evidence of it, we would say, yes, this is true. Paul says, I am an apostle, but more than that, look at you guys. You are a church. You are the evidence that I am an apostle. There's no denying it. Just like Rebecca, Paul is an apostle, and we are on board and we agree. But having affirmed this apostleship, Paul moves on to his rights as an apostle. It may be helpful for us uh, not to picture Paul uh, having his letter read by the Corinthians, but instead Paul standing before us as he could have stood before the Corinthians defending uh, his apostleship. Paul first lays out the nature of his rights. He asks, do we not have the right to eat and drink? Corinth was a city of intellectuals where philosophers made their living spouting so-called truth to the masses. They were the Oprahs of their day and they made their wages just as Oprah makes her wages. Paul points out that if they are able to make their wages, surely he can procure some bread and water. His work among them deserves food and drink, of course. Beyond food and drink, Paul asks if his work warrants a wife. Now this seems a little confusing, but Paul is not asking whether he is really that ugly, that undateable, that awkward. He's merely pointing out that this was the practice of the day for the apostles. Many of the other apostles, he points out, had gotten married. And he even mentions Peter himself. It was common for them to bring along their believing wife to assist them in ministry. And of course... We say, yes, Paul also deserves that same right as the rest of the apostles. Paul lastly asks whether he and Barnabas are the only ones that, have to, that are not allowed to stop working. And of course, the answer is no. Just as every other apostle, Paul also deserves his wages so that he can put a roof over his head. So that he can pay rent, that if his shirt rips, he can afford a new one without having to worry about it. Each question points not just to what was the practice uh, amongst the intellectuals in Corinth, but what was normal amongst the apostles in the Christian church at this time. Paul has the same rights to these basic needs. And he's writing to a church for whom he has gone all out. The Corinthians had a special bond with Paul. And so, of course, he deserved more than anyone else these rights. And if the rest of the apostles were getting these rights, surely he deserved them too. Well, after laying out these rights, Paul asks his hypothetical jury, who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends to a flock without getting some of its milk? Paul moves us beyond uh, having us agree that he deserves rights to pointing out that it would be foolish for him not to embrace them. Just as a soldier would, of course, take the pay for his job. Just as the owner of Welch's grape juice would never be without grape juice in his fridge. It would be ridiculous. Or to have somebody who is a farmer and fed thousands and thousands of cows to not have milk for a cereal in the morning. It would be ridiculous. Of course they have these things. The apostle, including Paul, is of course expected to make use of his rights. He has worked. Why would he not embrace them? That is the way that life goes. Though we in the Corinthians are completely behind Paul at this point, we must acknowledge that so far his case has largely been experiential. 
you could argue against Paul saying that uh, just because this is the way things are, that's not how they should be. Just because the apostles do get rights, just because a farmer does get the milk or uh, the vineyard produces grapes for its owner, does not necessarily mean that is what is right. So in response, Paul points to the fact that his words are not actually his own, that his analogies are merely a paraphrase of God's law in Deuteronomy 25.4. There God commanded the Israelites, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out grain. Paul seems to have closed the gap in this argument, but then he begs a question in verse 9. Is it for the oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our own sake? I imagine that this would have, just as it throws us off, threw off the Corinthians. Yes, God does care for the oxen, but he does care for us. So for whom is he speaking? And the answer, of course, is that God does care for the oxen, but does so also for the sake of mankind, for us. Paul points out that through God's command to care for the oxen, that the Israelites in Deuteronomy also saw God's care for them. In God's caring for the oxen and and ensuring that the oxen was fed, so too did the Israelites realize that they were taken care of by God. Paul solidifies his argument here not just by quoting Scripture, but pointing to the very character of God. God cares for his creation and ensures that in their God-given role in the place that he has placed them, that they are also able to reap the benefits. I've been reading a book by Tim Keller called Every Good Endeavor, and there God points out that, uh, or Tim Keller points out that God in his act of creation starts the theology of work, starts our understanding of work. And then in putting Adam to work in the garden to have dominion over the garden, he also uh, demonstrates that we are also to reap the benefits of how we have worked. Before sin, God established this uh, connection between working and reaping the benefits. So Paul is using God's word in the Old Testament to illustrate that the rights of an apostle stem not from any Corinthian or, or cultural understanding of work, but they, under, they stem from God's own desire for each created thing to fulfill its purpose, to receive the proper payment, whether it be grapes in a vineyard, food or drink, or the grain for an oxen. This extends to our own lives as we think about uh, how our rights are. Like Adam and Paul, we are each called to work. We are created to work and find fulfillment there. And as a result, God created us that we might also have the right to the benefits of our work. Though Paul has now defended that his rights stem from God's own heart, he points out that he also has sown spiritual seeds among them. That the work that he has done as as an apostle is not temporal, not uh, material things, but eternal, spiritual things. And he returns to his rhetorical questions asking, is it too much if we reap material things from you? The question does not need answered because, of course, we know that he deserves something material. And in fact, the the spiritual and the material can't even uh, balance each other out. The Corinthians could give all they want to Paul. They could pay him all they want. They could give him food and drink, but it would never measure up to the eternal uh, gift that he has given them. Not only does Paul deserve his rights in light of the other apostles and in light of God's desire for those who work, but his rights don't even begin to cover all that he has done for the church in Corinth. 
Paul seemingly draws his argument to a close, saying, Others have taken advantage of these rights, so shouldn't I as well? In other words, if you think the other apostles, whether Peter or others, deserve to get food, so too do I. I deserve to get paid, and all the more because I have done so much more among you. However, Paul applies the emergency brake on the train, jolting the entire argument to a stop and giving us whiplash with this statement at the end of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Paul moves uh, deftly through his argument, shattering any hypothetical opponents, and yet at the end he says, but I have not made use of these rights. He promptly brings the church back to reality, pointing out that though he does deserve them, that this is the current function, that he has rejected them. However, after this emergency stop, this brief recall in our mind of what's actually going on, Paul has one final point. Paul deserved these rites because it was also common in the temple. Those who sacrificed food as priests also received food from those sacrifices. Those who worked in the temple received pay. They would receive wages based on their service. And though Jesus came as the once and for all sacrifice, uh, he likewise says, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Those who proclaim the gospel should get their living according to the gospel. Paul's case is solid. He deserves rights like any other apostle. He deserves food and drink. He deserves, should he desire a wife, he deserves to get paid. As we look at Paul's strong argument, we see that we, like Paul, have rights. We've been given much by God as we work in his kingdom. Paul is the ultimate example of deserving of rights for working in the kingdom, but we must realize that as we each work, that we have been given by God great blessings. We have each been given time, money, things that are ours because of the grace of God in placing us where we are and sustaining us at his will. These are all wonderful things and we should be grateful for all that God has given us. Just as Paul recognized that it was through God that he was entitled to his rights. However, we have not been given them that we might function like the Corinthians were in the previous chapter. That we might have them be self-seeking and not perceive the needs of the church around us. Because in the rest of our passage, uh, Paul proceeds to explain why he has rejected his rights. But before we go into that, we need to pause. Because though this passage as a whole is about Paul's refusal for his rights and what it means for us, we cannot miss that there is something else in this passage. That Paul's denial of his rights is an exception to the rule. And that rule is spelled out in verse 14 where it says, The Lord commanded, Jesus Christ commanded, that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. To put it clearly, ministers of the gospel should be able to make their living by ministry. Each of these reasons provided by Paul should remind us that the work of the ministry is important and we must support it. 
The work of ministering the gospel is something that we as a church, we as believers, all must do. But there are some, as Paul explains, who are entitled to financial compensation. Those like Pastor Ralph or Pastor Kerry who understand that their calling comes from the Lord. But that the Lord has also called them to be supported through financial giving. As we just saw, Paul quotes Jesus saying that those who proclaim the gospel should make their living according to the gospel. But this isn't a word spoken to our ministers. This is said for the rest of us. Do we, members of Good News Bible Church, recognize that we have a responsibility to support our ministers financially? This doesn't reflect on them as pastors. It reflects on us as members. We as Good News Bible Church have the responsibility to make sure they receive those rights. We as the body of Christ here are called to make sure that our ministers can make their living according to the gospel. We are called as a church to provide financially for our ministers, for our pastor, our ministry staff, individuals who we know have been called and dedicated to the proclamation of the gospel. To be honest, church, we are not doing that well. This is not a chastisement. This is not something that you may squirm in your seat. My hope is that this would make us sorrowful. That us, including myself, would mourn that we are not doing this well. But I hope that it challenges us to hear God's call that we must give faithfully. Ministry is hard work. It is a call from God, and it takes a great deal of sacrifice and commitment. We have been blessed by God. We know by great men. They lead and they minister us. They give their all. Why then is it a struggle? Why is it a struggle for us to give to the work of the Lord? This may be difficult for us to hear, but in a church this size, we should be able to meet the needs of our ministers. If this is your church home, if you are a member here, God's word does command us to give. I don't want to sugarcoat it. It is not an option. Every year, we as a church, as members of this church, commit ourselves to be active participants in the life of this church. We sign our names on cards, but that does not just mean we are willing to serve in some sort of uh, ministry to volunteer in some way. It also includes our commitment to give to this church. This is a word from the Lord. This is not any man-made thing. This is not just a plug on the part of the elders. This is the word of the Lord. Ministers of the gospel, those who proclaim the gospel, are entitled to their wages. When I came on staff two and a half years ago, I was told that Pastor Kerry, that for that year he was going to be supported one-third by the church and two-thirds he was going to support himself through other donors. And I was told that the next year that he would be supported two-thirds by our church and one-third by other donors. And the year after that, that he would be supported entirely by our church. That's this year. But... Carrie is still raising a third of his support because we were not able to give financially. We were not able to come alongside of him faithfully. But church, we desire to be a body of believers who is completely faithful to God's word. 
And if we're faithful to God's word, then we must hear verse 14 that says, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And this isn't just having a spike in next week's offering. This isn't rallying the last weekend in March before our new fiscal year comes to say we made our budget. This is a commitment to a giving spirit, understanding that all we have belongs to God. And God, the giver of all things, commands us to give sacrificially for the sake of advancing the gospel. It's a, it's a commitment to saying we are giving first to the work of the Lord, to set aside money at the beginning, not at the end, not our leftovers, to realize that this should be our responsibility, but it also should be our pleasure to give to the church. Those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, and we as members of Good News Bible Church have the responsibility to make that happen. We should have hearts seeing God's work here that are moved to give, to fulfill the rights of our ministers as they come among us. I hope that we begin to pray that God moves our hearts in this way and that it would not be out of guilt or out of compulsion, but out of a desire to be faithful as uh, members of the body of Christ, faithful to God's word. Though this is a lengthy application from this passage, Paul is really only getting to the point of his example in this next part of the passage. In these final four verses, Paul explains that despite having the same rights as every other apostle, that he adamantly rejects these rights. His rejection of his rights will show us that those of us who are members of the body of Christ, those of us who are committed to the body, must also similarly be willing to reject our own rights. Paul's reasoning for his own rejection of his rights should cause us to question whether we, too, are ready to sacrifice for the sake of one another. Paul's first reason for rejecting his rights is that offering the gospel free of charge is his greatest joy in life. The the Corinthians would have been confused by this part of the letter because in the original Greek, in his letter that they would have been reading, he cuts off mid-sentence. He says, I would rather die No one is taking my grounds for boasting. For Paul, the ability to share the gospel free of charge is more important than anything else. Even life itself, he would rather die. And being able to offer the the gospel free of charge, Paul is able to remove all hindrances from the gospel so that all might point to Christ. He's able able to even say that he is suffering, uh, rejecting things that would be beneficial to him for the sake of the gospel. We second see that Paul rejects his rights because he does not feel that he has a choice in preaching. Paul functions in complete servitude to Christ. I imagine that Paul in writing was now fired up and explaining to the Corinthians that his preaching does not make him entitled to write because he has no choice. He preaches out of necessity. He is completely compelled. He has the opposite of self-control. We looked at the beginning of the passage and said Paul was called by God when uh, he met uh, Christ on the way to the road to Damascus. And ever since then, he has had no choice but to share the gospel. And he can't contain it. It's it's just coming out. And he says, there's no point in receiving rights because I don't have a choice in this. He could share the gospel over and over, day and night. And he'd never get sick of it because he's compelled to share it. 
And since it is his sole aim in life, for Paul, not fulfilling that purpose would end in destruction. That's why he says in, this, in verse 16, Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For Paul, he is so compelled that should he not do it, he, know that he knows that his life would end in ruin. He has to do it or else he will face calamity. He continues on into verse 17, impassioned by the demand on his life, saying hypothetically that if he received his rights, that they would make it as if he had a choice. If he receives his rights as a reward, then it would be like a contract. So should he choose uh, not to share the gospel, he wouldn't receive those rights, but that would be it. But on the other hand, if he does it not of his own will, he is still entrusted with this task. He has been commanded to do it. He shares this hypothetical point to point out that he is the one who, has, who is doing it of another's will. He has been tasked by Jesus Christ to share the gospel. He's like a servant who does not have a choice in his duty. And he will not receive a reward whether he does or does not do it. It is what he has been commanded to do. Finally, Paul closes saying that he rejects his rights because that is his reward. Because of his great love for the gospel, the greatest reward for him is to offer the gospel free of charge. In other words, his reward is to reject his rights. To be able to share the gospel with no strings attached, without his audience feeling the need to support him, that is his reward. Paul's ability to offer the gospel with, without obligation is one more instance in which we see Paul as he seeks to be an imitator of Christ. The reward of offering the gospel free of charge clearly mirrors Christ's own offering. Our Savior Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a sinless life. Yet he asked for nothing and died on the cross for all. We as imperfect people were separated from God. Separated from a perfect God and there was no way back. But Jesus came and said, without anything, you don't have to pay. All you have to do is believe because I died on the cross and I took away the sins. Paul's great reward is he gets to proclaim that freedom by offering it freely. Without demanding his rights as an apostle. As we look at Paul's example and his choice to reject these rights for the sake of the gospel among the body, we should be moved to do the same. Our commitment to the gospel should make us no rights reserved members of the body of Christ. As we look at the various reasons that Paul rejects his own rights, they all boil down to the same thing. For Paul, the gospel is center. It is that one thing that he is so focused on that nothing else will get in the way. Like my dad with his cup of coffee, like maybe somebody's fantasy football league. It's the only thing that matters to Paul, and nothing will get in the way. Now, Paul is unique in that he was given a specific calling by God. That's why he says, Woe to me if I don't proclaim the gospel. Because in his unique calling, he knows that if he does not, that his life will end in ruin. That is not the same for most of us. Not all of us have been called to have that full-time capacity of sharing the gospel. Yet what we should have that is the same as Paul is the same commitment to the gospel. That the gospel, that there's nothing that can get in the way of the gospel in our lives. There should be nothing else that is encroaching on it. 
That the fact that we are saved by grace, that we are members of the body of Christ, is what is most important to us. And I think many of us would say that that is true. That we, like Paul, have the gospel as the center of our lives. But I think if we look at the actions of our lives, that might not reflect our words. If we look at Paul, we know that his life was centered in the gospel because we saw him willing to sacrifice all those rights. He did it. He had rights. He lays out in these first 14 verses how much he deserves these rights, but the gospel is so important to him that he says, I want nothing to do with them. He was willing to work a job to sustain himself because it made his ministry better for the sake of his audience. And we have to ask ourselves, as we read this, does our commitment to the gospel more reflect the Corinthians who needed the example or Paul who was giving it? Do we reflect more ones who need to be told, look at my life and ask yourselves if that's how yours is? Or do we look at Paul and say, this is how my life is as well? I think in today's culture, we often get away with being in the middle. Our commitment to the gospel calls us to care for one another, but we also strongly believe in our own comfort. So we've created this middle ground where we have some rights reserved, where we give and we volunteer uh, and we're a part of the church, but not to the point that it hurts at the end of the day. Not to the point that we uh, lay down and we have things that are on our mind that, don't, that cause us not to be able to sleep. We're willing to sacrifice and give for the sake of the body to say, yes, like Paul, I will give up my rights, but not this, 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 or this. Because those would affect my own comfort. Yet if we are committed to the gospel as Paul demonstrates, and the same as Paul's example, we shouldn't have any rights reserved. We should be ready to say for the sake of the gospel that for the sake of the gospel in my brother and my sister's life I am ready to go all out to serve beyond our own comfort because it's there when those very primary rights like our money, our time, our stuff get put in the balance that's when we begin to function like we are truly committed to the gospel but as we do this we have to realize that it does not come out of the desire to be uh, to measure up as a member of Good News Bible Church. It has to come out of a commitment to the gospel. So if the gospel is not the primary thing in your life, these it's not going to happen. You're not going to be able to give up your rights as Paul did. First, you have to have the gospel as what is centered in your life. So if you're here this morning and and the gospel is not the center of your life, I would not expect you to be sitting thinking, I'm just going to give up my rights because it's not natural. But on the flip side, if, if the gospel is central to our lives, our hearts should be moving more and more to say, yes, of course, I will sacrifice anything for the sake of the gospel in my brother and sister's lives. Ready to sacrifice anything for the sake of the gospel. God has given us so much. He has made us and placed us here that we might glorify Him in all that we do and all that we have. Like Paul, we have much. But hopefully, like Paul, 
we are ready to reject much. To hold all that we have with an open hand. If we are living as members of Christ's body, centered on the gospel, knowing that it is our core, it is our everything, we should have no rights reserved. How does that look? Think of three ways before we close. Three ways that we are able to participate, to be willing uh, to give up our rights. To allow for God to work in our hearts that we might pursue the gospel. First, as I mentioned earlier, giving. We are to be able to participate in the furthering of the gospel through our faithfulness to our ministers, to those who have been called to share the gospel. But it does have to be an overflow of our hearts because it does take sacrifice. Putting aside money as soon as you get a paycheck is is not natural. For the rest of the world, this is a weird thing. So it has to come out of that desire for the gospel. It has to come out of the knowledge that the gospel is the most important thing in your life. Paul worked as an apostle. He deserved pay, and yet he gave it up for the sake of the gospel. Are we willing to put aside the money that is our right because God has gifted us with a job? The second is our time. So easy to plan in our Christian time. I know that I'm guilty of this. But are we willing to give up uh, the time that we consider our right for the sake of the gospel? To hold it all open and say, God, use whatever, whenever. Show me how I might give up even those evenings that I want to relax. Show me how that time that I have on Saturday morning might be used for the furthering of uh, your gospel in my brother or sister's life. Maybe it's coming here at this 9.15 prayer hour saying, I know that this is my one morning to sleep in. But for the sake of the gospel, I need to be here because our church needs it. Our church needs the gospel. Are you willing to sacrifice, to not reserve the right to your time? Third, our stuff. As I prepared this week, I was in my office across the street and someone uh, called the church needing a place to stay. And as we're trying to work stuff out and I was still sitting thinking about this sermon, all of a sudden uh, the truth of what I was trying to preach and what was going on in my heart uh, met violently. I had to pause and say, God, this is a lot harder than it is to preach. That should this person need a home to know that I have a living room that has a couch that is long enough for someone to stay on. But is the gospel central enough in my own life? Is that what is most important? That should this person need to be on my couch that I am willing to say, God, this I am holding to you with an open hand too. It was a struggle. And I think that that is true for many of us. That we are willing to, to give up certain things. We have stuff that we'll loan to people or we'll have people into our homes at a certain time. But there's some things that are still off limits. Are we willing to sacrifice our things, our stuff, that which God has given us for the sake of the gospel in our church? In each of these things, we are called to be faithful when God calls us to give something up. To, like Paul, be ready to reject our rights. I ask that this week in our prayer that we would ask God to expose two things. 
First, is there something immediate that I need to sacrifice for the sake of the body of Christ? Is there something immediate that's going on right now that takes either my time or my money or my stuff and that out of a desire for the gospel that I need to give up right now? And second, are there rights that I am not yet willing to sacrifice? Are there are things are there things that I am still holding tightly that I'm not ready to open up my hand before God? I ask that that would be our prayer and that God out of not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, but out of our own desire for the gospel as Paul had the gospel so center in his life that we would be moved ready to give up whatever it may be for the sake of one another. Let's pray. Father, we readily admit that we look at the example of Paul and know that sometimes or in some ways that we tend not to be able to open our hand in that way. That there are things that we reserve for ourselves But God, we desire for the gospel to move us and change us. That should there be a need for the sake of the body of Christ, that we are willing to sacrifice for it. God, we desire that you would make it true in our hearts that we are ready to give up whatever you have called us to. Lord, I ask that you would bring us closer together. And you would build us up just as you were building up the Corinthians in light of Paul's example. Lord, that we would move forward this week seeing how you might uh, use us in this church. For this body, for the furthering of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray.